A wrap of Thailand's World Cup campaign, ACC Eastern Region T20, Island Wolves South Africa trip and coronavirus cancellations. That's all coming up on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. It's a good evening from Sydney. Hello and welcome to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. Uh, we've just seen Thailand's last World Cup game here in our beautiful city. Uh, the man to my left of me, uh, Nick Skinner, probably doesn't think that Sydney is beautiful right about now given the inclement weather, but Copernicus Cricket, how are you tonight? I'm very well. Very excited to be here on Sydney's uh, packed trains and crappy roads. Uh, but yes, great, great to watch Thailand and um, I'm keen to get into this tonight's pod. Well, it was an Olympic effort just to get out there today, given the rain. And as soon as there is a little bit of rain, the city rail system decides that uh, it can't function. Uh, managed to get out there a little bit late. Did miss the first ball today personally, but was there for, well, for the, the large part of Thailand's innings, which was exceptional. A man watching from afar uh, up in Brisbane, Tim Cutler. Tim, uh, how's things? And, and how did you see it on the uh, television screens? Well, it's good to be back. Um, I think that's, geez, that two in a row? Is that the first time I've ever missed two in a row? I, I think so, yeah. Geez, yeah. after missing that, that many, you'd think you get dropped down to the second 11. But uh, <laughs> no, it's good to be back. Um, I also missed the start of it, but that's because I was working. I had a, uh, a one-on-one with one of the staff members up here in uh, sunny Brisbane and very quickly... Got KO going, bit of free advertising there for the uh, pay TV sports provider there. But I, I guess it is who you work for, Beth, so I should, we should give them a bit of a... Yes. You couldn't reschedule that chat? But uh, no, got it going on my phone. And I saw, just as the, as the score comes up, you know, it sort of gives you a score, but bad details. There's none for 21 from two or from three. I was like, oh, that, that could be Thailand batting. And then it came up. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, we're batting. And it was like, uh, meow, I'm busy. Uh, door shut, um, phone on stand, um, earphones in. And I've got to say, yeah, the, the smile stuck to my face in Thai innings because it's the Thailand team that we know, the talent that has been there the whole time waiting to shine through. Um, the, the rest of the world got to see today. So it was very, very heartening, and as Sanaran said in the press conference, in answering some of your questions, well done in there, lads, um, that you can't help the rain, but everything that, that Thailand could control today, um, I won't say that a perfect game, because that is uh, hitting a six on every single ball. <laughs> He's a harsh judge. But I think everything they did, they, they did well, and it was just good to see the strategies they'd been planning uh, for Pakistan this whole time come to fruition and uh, there was a certain bearded boy in Brisbane with tears in his eyes watching this game today. So for anyone that hasn't seen the scorecard yet and well you've probably been living under a rock if you haven't, Thailand managed to post three for 150 off their 20 overs with Natak Chanton becoming the first Thai player to score a half century at a World Cup of any kind, making 56 or 50 balls before she was eventually dismissed, actually by a really good catch uh, by Diana Baig, um, return catch low to her right. And Nataya Buchanton, uh, her opening partner, they managed to put on 93 for the first wicket in just 13 and a half overs before she ended up finding Alia Riaz in the deep, which was a full toss that she just couldn't put away. And, and I think the, the main point of conversation here was that, okay, Pakistan at times probably didn't bowl great, but Thailand were able to capitalize on any opportunities they got. There were several instances where a Pakistani bowler bowled wide outside the off stump, were pummeled for four, 
and then in the overcorrection were too straight and the tire players actually capitalized by sweeping for four uh, the very next ball. Both batters did that um, on separate occasions. And we were talking to, to Nishad Rego, and, and who, who did a magnificent job actually uh, helping out with the pod in your absence, Tim, which was great. And, and he'll be definitely contributing more in the emerging cricket as we go down the line. But Nick, I'll, I'll bring you in here now. Uh, it was great to see Thailand capitalizing on, on the loose balls, posting their highest ever total in T20 international cricket as well, might uh, we add, after breaking their record that was set at 133 last year against the Netherlands. I believe it was in that series just before the World Cup. Nick, you're nodding next to me. Um, but yeah, magnificent performance, and we were just lucky to be uh, on hand to, to watch it unfold. Yeah, it was, it was really enjoyable to watch them. As, as Tim said, you know, we all we all knew what they can do, and they've shown glimpses so far in the tournament, but to really put it together like this was was heartening. And as Tim said, the, the game plan really paid off, and you know, it wasn't just some lucky shots. It was, it was that they played smart cricket, and you know, as you alluded to, they, they put the pressure on the bowlers and capitalized when they made mistakes. I'd trace it back to that fourth over where Chantam just tucked in. Um, Anam came in and, and just kept feeding her outside off and she just kept driving her through cover cover point. And that is Chantam's shot and, and she just kept doing it. And that, you know, 16 runs... And then a couple of boundaries, the next over, uh, Buchatam charges down and, and just really smashes Diana disdainfully through mid-wicket for four. And, you know, that really puts Pakistan on the back foot. And, and so the good thing about them is that having done that and having got off to a really good start, it meant the field opened up for a, a lot more singles, which meant that when Javeria Khan brought on uh, Dar, the off spinner who... She went for about four runs and over, and she was the only bowler with uh, any real control. So, so when she came on, they could actually just milk her for the singles and, and play her out rather than being under pressure, which often happened in in their previous games. You know, they'd Chantam or, or you know someone would play well, but then they'd lose uh, wickets in clumps, and and then they'd be on the back foot, and so they wouldn't be able to get it away off the square. So, uh, that was really encouraging. And and the other thing I noticed was just the leg side play, especially there was a, a pickup shot from Chantam in the fifth over, I think where the ball went down leg and she just timed it perfectly and helped it on the way to find leg. And, and that's the kinds of shots that they have been lacking is is just the leg side play and, and being able to, you know, when Pakistan reinforced that sort of cover, cover point region they're so strong through, finding ways through the gaps in, in other parts of the ground. And so it was just a really smart batting performance from, from everyone. Yeah, I think that was it as well. You can say, well, Natakan uh, Chantam backs off and really opens up that, that offside field and and therefore you could try and bowl a little bit straighter to really try and cramp her. But the, the difference was that not only was uh, Natakan able to open up and hit over uh, those fielders on the on the offside, but when they bowled too straight, they, they did play those leg side shots, which they haven't been doing this tournament. And it made it a lot easier, very predictable if you can be as, as a batter and allowed teams to really straighten strangle them which saw them try to go for bigger shots again and get out you know it was the first time I've seen I hate hearing it over and over 360 degree players but Thailand really put Pakistan under pressure all around the field and that told just as you were talking about there when they started trying to, to block up certain areas of the ground they found ways of hitting balls elsewhere and the same way that I think Thailand has come up against it and seen teams that you bowl a bad ball to they all get hit for four whereas in the that's called a level lower than this outside of the World Cup they probably get away with a bad ball and over it was now Thailand batting like a world-class team playing against another world-class team 
putting those bad balls away. And if we want to get really picky, there are probably some full tosses, including the one that, that took the first wicket that should have been put away maybe more to leg side rather than skewed to, to the off and, and some full tosses that could have been placed better. But there were some world-class shots in there over both sides of the field and, and still some very clever ones as well. You're talking about the pick-up ones to leg side. There was a, a stand-up a sweep between the two um, fielders uh, behind square on the leg side that was amazing. That a similar to, I can't remember which English batter was that she played at the ball through her legs, but very similar that it was almost on this really strange... Not similar. Yeah, strange angle with a straight bat. It was just really good to see. And something that was also heartening is they've done so many little things well in this tournament, but they're running between the wickets. Albeit it was getting towards the end of the, the innings and they only had a couple of wickets down, it was a lot more attacking towards the back end of that. And hopefully they take that forward because I think they probably left another 10 runs out there early on where they could have been coming back for a two against Pakistan who aren't as strong in the field and don't have those strong frozen rope arms from the outfield like some of the other bigger, stronger teams. But yeah, it was just great to see a complete game or a complete half a game from Thailand. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the power hitting aspect, which as we've seen, you know, they, they can't really clear the rope in the same way as, you know, Heather Knight or Eliza Lee, you know, who, who did that against Thailand. But what they did do really effectively, and, and they talked about this in one of the press conferences, was they used the pace of the ball and sort of manipulated it through gaps. And that was really heartening to see because they're, you know, they're thinking about what they can do and what they can't do. And, you know, they can't just bomb it over mid-wicket for six. So what they can do is, is just use the pace and um, manipulate fours, which was really effective. And the other thing I was especially impressed with was when Butchertown got out, she was filthy with herself. She wasn't, she wasn't, oh yeah, I'm really happy I scored 40. And she wanted to keep going and, and keep the foot down against Pakistan. So that was really encouraging. And they've talked about how they're, you know, they're here to compete and they're, they're a serious cricket team. And just those little things, you know, the mentality that was shown, they're not just the, you know, all smiles, happy story. They're, they're trying to win cricket games. I wouldn't mind just adding one more thing before we perhaps talk about um, the inclement weather and some other other things that, that went on in, in Thailand's campaign. But they're actually able to continue continue the charge even when those two fell between Saturawang, Kancharonkai and Kem Chompu they were all allowed to free the arms and they managed to score at a, at a pretty good rate as well to post that score of seven and a half and over shows that they did have the ability throughout the order you know had Chanceman Buchatam fell perhaps a little bit earlier it does help having that platform set by a really good opening stand and, and, and spreading the field but they did manipulate the field very well and I think the Pakistani leadership team would probably probably at sixes and sevens there for a couple of overs trying to work out what had gone on but a big place where they earn a lot of their runs today was actually behind square on the leg side sweeping and when you can only really have one person behind square of course you can have two but no one's ever going to set a field for something like that to to exploit that that region of the ground was quite smart and it showed just a little bit more game and match awareness and it's just something that happens when there's a little bit more exposure in playing high level opponents because they were able to slow the game down a little bit and know what they were trying to do and they managed to go out and achieve everything that they had drawn up in the uh, on the whiteboard what well, makes you think doesn't it after reading the shards diary piece yesterday saying how much they were enjoying training and the showground wickets and, and blacktown that they said that this suits their their game play and style a lot more and i think from the first ball i saw anyway it just seemed to suit their game down to the ground and it makes you wonder if they'd played more games on wickets like this and i know the show showground cops a lot during the wbbl and bbl lacking a bit of life 
it really seemed to be right in the, the hitting zone of what this team is used to playing on in Bangkok and, and throughout the associate cricket world where you don't have those squares that are looked after always as firm as those at the Wacker or in Canberra. And geez, does it, do you think that they could have pushed teams, especially the West Indies, um, considering the Pakistani team beat the West Indies, if you put the West Indies against the Thai team that play there today on the showground, I think they go a lot closer. Yeah, and the West Indies especially have looked pretty, um, I don't want to say uninterested because obviously it's a World Cup, but they've just lacked a spark all through the tournament. So, you know, it's all, you know, hypotheticals, but coming up against them on in these conditions and maybe with Thailand coming in with a bit more energy, I think they could have ambushed them and they, they were pretty close, you know, they were wobbling there. I think it was four for 30-ish before the review got overturned and that could have set a few, um, you know, cats among the pigeons, if you will. A good point about showground wicket and just more broadly looking, I guess, to Thailand's rise up through the qualifiers, a lot of the time they were playing on, well, the wickets just weren't as good as, as what they were facing in places like Manuka Oval and, and the Wacker. And I mean, this is common across associate cricket. It's it's hard to make the next step up because, you know, you're, you're playing on these uh, low, slow, not particularly good wickets. And then you, you come to somewhere like a like a Perth and, and you don't know what to do with yourself. And, and we saw that, especially with um, Shabnam Ismail's spell against them, uh, where she was, you know, she was really steaming in, but the, the bounce and the back of a length, you know, lines that she was bowling made it really tough for the tie teams who, who you know, they, they're not used to that bounce and they're not used to the, the, the true bounce. Even, you know, even if they can handle the pace, it, it's just that awkward, you know, back of a length they can't quite put it away in the same way as they can when it's it's a bit lower as as they did so effectively here with against Pakistan. And, and just to wrap this up, I think a, a good way to prove the progress of Thailand cricket, even in the last two years, and we talk about you know twelve years of development from from converting softball players and, and all of that. But we made a point about it in in the press conference um, this evening that Thailand's first T20 international with status was back in June. 2018 they played against Pakistan in the Women's Asia Cup finished 20 overs 8 for 67 and two years later well less than two years later almost 18 months they're playing the same opponent albeit in different conditions but I'm guessing against a very similar team they come out and make 150 for three they've just gone at seven and a half and over after a world cup where they did play against England and they did look like they struggled to score and and here they are scoring at almost double the rate and the best way to learn in my opinion from just about any walk of life the best way to learn is to do and is to go out there and be exposed to to things outside your comfort level and eventually you end up adapting to the situation and you actually outperform anything compared to what you've done before and you reach that level. And it's the same when sometimes teams underperform because they play down to an opponent's level because they think it's too easy. But Thailand have come out here and punched above their weight. Okay, they've got one point instead of two. But if we're really honest with ourselves, they could have, should have, and probably would have won tonight. So... Nick and I are here sitting in our new Thailand kits. Thanks a lot to, to Cricket Thailand for the merch. But I think we can sit here and, and, and say that today was a, a win for associate cricket. Tim, would you agree? Absolutely. And I don't know, I try, try and think of an analogy with that sort of playing up. And I'm, I can imagine one of us hackers going around with a Greg Norman or something and you know still losing by a lot, um, but then realizing it's the best round you've ever played, just being surrounded and learning and, and reacting. I guess cricket's a little bit different in that you're having to react to, uh, to deliveries bowled to you by someone or hit by someone else. That's probably a pretty useless analogy. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I liked it. From them, thanks. I appreciate it. For them, from the moment that they qualified, and a long time before that, but really from when the story started being told by agencies beyond emerging cricket, and they have 
not only been great ambassadors for the associate game for just just for cricket itself um, and we saw um, the South African captain talk about that, saying that playing against Thailand, I think it was one of her last comments, and, and you guys picked it up in your match report, that they remind you why you started playing the game in the first place. That's Let's call that sort of the, the soft and emotional side to it, but the, the way that they've conducted themselves and their skills and the way that they fielded, especially early on in the tournament, and stuck to their guns, it, it's just amazing. I, I can only imagine the teams now looking at them who they're going to come up against them in Sri Lanka in the, in the World Cup qualifier, just really not wanting to face them. Um, and me thinking exactly the sort of tingy on what you said um, about playing up, playing down, that the next teams to come up against and think, wow, we're going to get a hot Thailand team that have now faced the best in the world and are just going to be de- dismantling us. So it's going to be a, a real mental plus. But the good thing about it, I can't see it going to their heads. I can see them only going back and seeing how they can improve and we all know it's very hard to try and learn from a win. It's a lot easier to learn from a loss when you've, you've got room to develop. But this team's just going to get better and better. And I can't think of anyone better to be flying the flag for, for associate cricket. And that's male or female cricket. No, I completely agree. And their body language today, even when the rain came down, they were happy. They were doing dance moves on the, on the uh, boundary rope, which seems to be getting quite a bit of traction on social media and fair enough there was actually a hadouken in there somewhere the old street fighter slash dragon ball z which i thought was uh was fantastic they were signing autographs too so it just proves that they've really captured the imagination of of this australian crowd and just to move on um and talk about the qualifying for for the next campaign and in an announcement that actually came through today we were under the impression that the top four in each pool would go through automatically to the next world cup but we've just received word that as hosts of the next world cup south africa will have automatic qualification but apart from that the other seven highest ranked sides in the icc rankings as of the 30th of november 2021 will qualify automatically and the final two teams will be determined after the world cup qualifier there's a very good chance that thailand will have to go through that qualifier again i can't see how their ranking would go to uh, a top eight position when they probably won't get the chance to play against high member full member opposition and the other cruel part of that is that their tour next month that they were set to host uh, in Thailand has just been cancelled due to COVID-19 or the coronaviruses uh, many people have uh, referred it to. Although, Tim, last week you were you were pretty quick to, to tell us that it has a new name and we should refer it to as the COVID-19 Um but that's disappointing, you know, that was them hosting two full members in Ireland and Zimbabwe, plus the Netherlands. That would have been a great opportunity to, to continue, but um, speaking to the Thailand camp, they'll now go, I think their next international sort of campaign is in Sri Lanka and, and gearing up, playing some cricket there. Um, they'll also be going to India and then back to Sri Lanka again um, once those international ma- matches are finalised, we'll let you know more about it to everyone at home. But for the Thai players, Tim, what what's the next step? I mean, we've seen associate spots in BBL franchises before. Can you see one or two of these players being picked up for T20 leagues around the world at some point? Because that seems to be the, the next step for a lot of these Thai players. And speaking to Nishad, he seems to think that that's probably the, the best way they can develop as well. Well, first part of your question about where to next for them, um, I heard Sean's answer in the press conference about them going to Pune again, and I think that is an even better preparation for them, maybe even more so than it was going 
there before this T20 World Cup in Australia, and I'm sure they trying to find the, the bounciest wickets they could, but it's pretty hard wherever you go in the world to try and prepare for a first game in a World Cup on, on the Wacker, which on reflection is probably a bit harsh to the old ICC to throw the qualifier one onto the uh, onto the Wacker, but that's, you know, by the by. You know, looking at this tournament that they'll be going into, the 10-team the Women's World Cup qualifier, I'm guessing it's two pools of five, similar to the Men's World Cup qualifier. I mean, that's Bangladesh, Ireland, West Indies, Sri Lanka, plus one other, uh, the sixth place in the Women's Championship qualifier probably should be in there. Thailand, Zimbabwe, Papua New Guinea, United States, Netherlands. Now, in Sri Lankan conditions, geez, Thailand are a danger. You know, what we've just seen today, you know, Zimbabwe have been out of action for a while. They get, they're a better team than PNG, USA, and the Netherlands, and I'm not making any assumptions here, but just looking at it there. West Indies are, are beatable. Look, the world champions have really fallen from grace looking at how they've performed. Sri Lanka got a, one or two good bowlers and Adipadu absolutely smashes them. And then we've seen them against Bangladesh Island. This is, They're in a, with a real shot here. And I think that their style of play against, that's called that's the, the upper echelon above them, is really suited to 50-over cricket. So I'm excited to see how they go in this event. But BBL or WBBL and other T20 franchise slots, absolutely. Uh, Sulepon uh, Leomi, the, the leg spinner, I think was probably the, the one that came out as a bowler um, with the highest marks. Very tight, gave nothing away when it, I think it was five runs and over, I think um, Nashad wrote about and tight across her three spells. Um, and then uh, the two, uh, Nadakan and Nataya up the top of the order as well. Great, probably um, mm. Nataya with bowling off spin as well has potential for a real good all-round product. But then after what everyone saw today, I reckon there's going to be teams looking at those two opening batters. So the only problem being is that there's not a lot of money uh, in and around women's franchise cricket at the moment, which I still think is an, an opportunity there. But beyond Australia and the WB. It's going to be more about experience for these players rather than really adding to the career, which is already great for them. But yeah, I think that the the amount of women's cricket coming out probably more in the qualification for these events from 2023 onwards. Yeah, considering that the ICC is looking at cutting the number of events where there are more than eight women's teams playing in half, and that's from from this section. But then somehow still fitting in a third more events is a travesty. And I want everybody to to go back and look at that proposal and ask them how that it's going to help growing the game and I think more so than anything that the Thailand players can do in playing franchise cricket anywhere it's the ICEC putting on expanded global events I know you guys are only going to agree with me here but and everyone listening but expanded global events that actually allow these teams to develop more because what Thailand has learnt and the benefit of the game we know it's a fairly still a small population watching the game in Thailand but it's not going to take much to ignite it there in the country and the amount that they have learnt in this short time and the benefit it's done the game is immense and that only happens happens at these types of events you can i don't know what what is it you can put a uh it's a wig on a pig or is it a makeup on a pig in terms of these qualifying events <laughs> um trying to dress them up bigger than they are even though it didn't happen anyway with a lack of television games and they've promised more it's about these global events and getting this exposure there's a lot more people talking about thai cricket today than there ever ha- has been before and that's down to the icc to to help lay the pathway for teams like Thailand, Papua New Guinea and beyond to grow because it, it, it can't be down to these countries only trying to find other private leagues around the world for their players to play. The global game should be helping grow the global, global game. 
Yeah, lipstick on a pig, I think, is the expression. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, and and I think that's a pretty good way of, of looking at the what whatever the ICC is trying to do here with all these tournaments that they're going to play with all the same teams and and no one else. And you know, we saw the commentators, you know, guys like Nasser Hussein saying, well, you know, how refreshing it is to to be able to commentate on someone different rather than the same England, Australia, India, South Africa, blah 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 same teams all the time and that's that's the great thing about having thailand be strong and, and having all these other teams coming up through the ranks is that it, it gives the fans a bit of variety and i just think the icc is being quite narrow-minded in the way they're looking at shrinking their tournaments and and concentrating the the games in you know they're having so many games and they're all between the exact same teams and it's it's surely it's going to lead to you know fatigue and you, you can only watch australia play england so many times before you get sick of it and you know just going back to the uh, qualification pathway i think it's a bit of a strange one that they're going based on the rankings because well first of all the rankings are very well questionable at best even even if the teams are able to play each other the the way the algorithm spits out results is quite bizarre and we might talk about that later with Nepal but the other thing is of course there's no way Thailand's going to be able to get enough games against these teams to qualify automatically so it's completely unfair to have a, a system where you know the top 8 teams qualify automatically but the top 8 teams are the only ones getting any games so there's no opportunity for anybody else to climb up the rankings so it's, it's sort of yeah as you said lipstick on a pig it's it's pretending there's this meritocratic pathway when when really they don't actually have a real chance well speaking of the pathways and beyond that i guess like two things come to mind is that we've seen the past in in men's cricket with teams pulling out of bilateral series because they knew that if they lost they could potentially go down and that we've seen reasons be used but the big thing for me and i I think it was brought up on facebook it was either by andrew greenwood one of our patrons or or as Fraser Middleton, a friend on the Twitter, saying that this really does show that the ICC should be organising a World Cricket League, Cricket World Cup League to however you want to see it, um, style event that sits below the, the Women's Championship. And it just makes so much sense. You know, they're going to be paying for fewer teams than they would for the, the men's at the moment, 50 over cricket. They could mould it similarly to the women's championship where there are points that contribute to the, the one table across one days and T20Is and then have it shooting off for qualifiers for the global events. But wouldn't that be great for like the teams we've just talked about who are going to be playing in Sri Lanka, the likes of PNG, Thailand, Zimbabwe, those that don't get regular cricket. And it's not going to cost a lot of money um, in terms of the, the, the average cost of running the men's tournaments around ODIs and T20Is. I just think it's a real no-brainer if the ICC, and it's not so much are they serious because I know they want to grow the game, but if they're serious about really laying down a pathway for, for women's cricket to, to be the figurehead of the growth of the sport, um, I think it's a, a it needs to be done. Yeah, some definite food for thought there. And for, for Thailand, you know, it, it will be difficult for them to, to move into that top eight given the, the current framework. But uh, I, I do think they have enough quality to, to qualify again through that qualifier. I can, I can definitely see them beating Zimbabwe. It's just a case of how the draw pans out and, and we'll be keeping up to date with that as we move into the next cycle of uh, international tournaments. And, and that's a, a story in itself, but we'll probably keep that one uh, in the kit bag for tonight and talk about that on a, on a different podcast. Uh, let's move forward and, and yeah the coronavirus is, is striking international cricket down we 
just discussed Thailand's four-team series being called off. It is threatening to affect the Challenge League coming up soon. A few teams who are competing in that Challenge League are actually in the, the Eastern ACC Asia Cup qualifying uh, we've seen the West conclude last week where we saw the boil over that was Oman missing out and we're seeing Singapore strut their stuff now but I do want to go back a little bit further Tim and, and this is the first time we've had you on for a couple of weeks and without you know trying to evoke some of the the sad feelings from from you over there Tim it's been a, a, a rough trot for Hong Kong they did win today against Thailand in the in the men's T20 uh, ACC uh, Asia Cup qualifying but they were trounced 5-0 by Malaysia who have only gone from strength to strength and beaten uh, Nepal at this same tournament as well a few question marks for Nepal too and, and perhaps some quality coming out from, from Malaysia but what was your assessment of that that 5-0 series and where do you see both of those teams at the moment because they're two teams vying for an Asia Cup spot and, and, and some more development in, in that part of the world yeah, I saw you uh, defer to this week and, and move the comments across. Look, when you've got only one batter out of five matches that scores more than 100 runs, and that was Kinchit Shah with 101. And although they had the next four highest run scorers behind him in sort of high 80s and, and 90s, you're not going to win games of cricket. And since um, the departure of Baba Hyatt's Anshaman Rath, the likes of the Ahmed brothers, or we we don't need to talk about them. Player X and Y. Yeah, X and Y. You know, you, you, there's a real hole there at the top, and if Cat and Kinshid aren't scoring runs, and um, that puts a lot of pressure. And Haruna Shard, who we talked about as a potential all-round star for Hong Kong, only scored 27 runs in the the three chances he had to bat as well. So yeah, that was a little bit shaky. The one positive that Hong Kong has seen coming from that whitewash to Thailand is Jamie Atkinson is back in the team for the first time since Namibia, actually, when we we were there watching in in April a year ago, which is as much for his ability up the top of the order or wherever they bat him. He bat a little bit higher today in chasing a a low target, but it's just going to be the calmness that he brings to the team. Look, he's not a a big talker. He's a a quiet guy. It's quite weird in being a PE teacher. You'd think he'd be a guy screaming at you in sweaty gym shorts, but he's (laughs) he's just an achiever, and and I think he brings a, a calmness to especially you know, such a, a young team there which is pretty amazing looking at the team it, itself and I've yeah. not giggled I, I have to look away and, and close it because I get really angry but looking at Andrew Nixon engaging and I use that word loosely engaging with some certain fans from country that's near the Himalayas <laughs> um, about the background of these teams and you know the story about Hong Kong is actually quite a good one in that the, the majority of that team Bar Scotty who's now in Singapore is originally from the UK and Esan Khan who's now been in Hong Kong for geez a big close to close to eight years everyone else is either born there or moved there as kids and are true products of this of the system there so for for as bad as everything looks like it is on the outside there's some good quality coming through and there's some some good opportunity look then they're not the team that they were and i can't see them going much further than than these qualifying events and i know they're only one game off from the world cup look you can only do with what you you have and it's going to be now for the lots of the king shit shards and and the zackets to really take another step and lead these young kids forward you know it's going to be really tough for them to get our challenge league and coming first but look at this they've won two from two including against Nepal and and again Nepal aren't looking good and 
doesn't look like they really want to be there. Nepal losing to Hong Kong and Malaysia. To me, that's the biggest story about this event in Thailand is is how Nepal approached it rather than Hong Kong. That come back from five games in a row. And again, Trent Johnston's not going to be the guy who's going to say, well, I give up and, and throw a hat on the ground. He's going to be working hard with, with the guys and I can't think of a better coach to be there working with them. But yeah, it's just really time for the, the, the likes of Nazakit, Kinshit, and especially Azaz as well, because he's batting up the elder as well to, to start leading these young guys. And the more that Jamie can play for the team, the better. And we talked about the the ICC rankings being a bit of a debacle on the women's side of things. And we see Nepal's T20I ranking flattering them at the moment. And they've just been, well, well and truly beaten by a a bunch of teams here, Nick. Yeah, and it's a very disappointing performance uh, looking at Nepal's, um, yeah, two losses from two attempts. Malaysia, um, you you might think it's a surprise based on the, the... 20 ranking places uh, difference between the two but I mean looking at the Interport series and just just quickly going back to that actually I think the big difference as Tim sort of briefly alluded to was, was just the, the number of people performing and looking uh, Malaysia had four bowlers uh, with six wickets or more Hong Kong only had two Malaysia had three guys well over 100 runs and, and quite a few sort of in the around the sort of 70 and 80 so they, they had a core middle order and, and some guys batting around them and that's just how you win games of cricket and, and Hong Kong just weren't able to do that but yeah back to Malaysia beating Nepal in the way that they did you know convincingly they didn't just sort of upset them in the last minute or anything they it was it was a comprehensive win obviously that Interport series really helped them prepare and you know we we saw a little bit of that um, earlier around the time of the Asian T20 regional qualifiers for the global qualifiers where Malaysia played a couple of warm-up games and really pushed Nepal and targeted Sandeep with um, Syed Aziz smashing him especially and I'm sure that will make you happy Bez um but yeah I think the the rankings are a bit of a joke because Malaysia are definitely not 20 places below Nepal and Nepal really shouldn't be ranked number 12 Uh, you know that they've lost almost all their T20 games really in the last little while and and somehow they were still 11th until that game against Malaysia and yeah so I don't know I don't know what the algorithm is I don't know how it spits out the results but it's really not fit for purpose and even leaving aside the fact that very few teams will be able to play enough games to to you know to to make a serious dent in their ranking just the way it calculates who's better than who doesn't really make sense to me a couple of other points uh before we do move on um Side as is from Malaysia, uh, I just want to quickly put up my hand and say that I'm about to, to start running the, the side as is fan club page <laughs> if anyone wants to, to jump on board. Uh, huge fan of, of what he brings to, to the table in associate cricket and, and a great player of spin, which made him so effective against both Hong Kong and Nepal. The f- I flicked on the stream, I think, for that Interport series a few days ago, and the first ball I saw, uh, side as is, was on strike. He's gone down the track inside out he ended up hitting this ball one-handed over cover for six which ended up in the crowd (laughs) to me that's just incredible and and I think anyone can can appreciate that Uh, but one more play that I want to bring up in this uh, eastern side of qualifying and we will wrap up the tournament properly when it does reach its conclusion but Tim David has gone from playing grade cricket on the weekend for Claremont Netherlands he made 94 I think in a club game there didn't play for Singapore and then must have flown over to play in this tournament and has made 92 not out of 32 balls in an absolute shellacking against Malaysia. They scored 239 for three off their 20 overs. Malaysia fell to a 111 all out. I know we've just been big upping 
uh, Malaysia and, and their achievements, but they were well and truly trounced today in, in Bangkok. A, a scorecard like that is craziness, and it just sort of proves to, to all of us again that, you know, cricket is a, a strange game. You know, one day you're the fly and the other day you're the, the windshield. Um, you're right, and it's uh, it's a funny old game sometimes, and that's that's why at least what's happening in Hong Kong is a little bit consistent with what's actually been happening behind the scenes. But you know, the more we talk about this, I guess the fact that we're talking about T20 internationals, it's a lot easier to uh, to be chasing these records and talking about uh, the rankings uh, all on the back of the ICC's decision to give uh, universal status. Really, isn't it? It's funny how all these events that would have been other T20s and really hard to track being streamed especially these azc ones but um yeah i don't know if you, this side aziz um fan club what are you, you going to call it hmm i'll get to that the only famous aziz i can think of right now is aziz ansari and he's not in anyone's good books based on a lot of different things going on at the moment so i'm gonna steer away from him side aziz give me give me five minutes i'll uh, get my notepad out and um he's only the third top run scorer in the interport series so you must really like him you know there was Virindeep Singh scored 174, almost double, not almost double, a good sort of, you know, 70% iron. Ahmed Fayez was 162, but uh, all about Syed, all because you turned on and saw one wristy shot. You're just easily lured, aren't you? No, 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 no. Well, he, well, he dominated against Nepal when they played them in the World Cup qualifiers last year. The thing is, like... There are certain players that just seem to score ridiculous amounts of runs every time I watch. Like, he's the new Sunil Damala. So Sunil Damala is just a player who dominates in Nepali cricket, in franchise cricket. Every time I watch him, he makes runs, but he never gets a go on the national team. And everyone just ats me on Twitter being like, why do you like this guy so much? Like, he's okay. (laughs) He's not great. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. But every time I watch him bat, he makes runs. It's the... It's the Sarnal Dumbler effect all over again. <laughs> Confirmation bias. Maybe yeah. that's what you should call your side as this website. No, no, no. I'm going to come up with something much, much better than that. Confirmation by Adaziz. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no good. The Syed database. No. Syed. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Site <laughs> sided. No, no. Sided as. Oh, this is top quality content right side here. as as is it should be. <laughs> As is should be. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, moving on to actual content. Yeah, well, my working title at the moment is Diaphoside. Diaphoside is... No, dang it. <sighs> Sounded better in my head. You're really bad at this. No, I'm giving up. I need I need a good night's sleep. Can, can we come back with the creative juices? All right, yeah, we need to get going because Nick has to probably eventually catch a train home. Uh, mm. Yeah. Uh, finally, let's talk about uh, that Namibia Island series that was played out Oh, I should say Island Wolves series. It was played out in South Africa. Uh, Namibia, Island Wolves and Namibia played uh, five T20 matches, uh, which were won 4-1 uh, by Island Wolves. And we do want to give this a, a quick wrap. I know we did go through the results in a previous pod, but there were a few uh, performers that we should probably make note of. And, and Nick, you were a little bit more up-to-date with a lot of this stuff, but Herard Erasmus, once again, was was excellent. A couple of good performances for Ireland. Uh, some newer guys that we haven't seen more uh, much of, uh, that Doney is a player that's actually played for, for Ramwick Petersham in, in Sydney, uh, especially in second grade. Uh, Gareth Delaney again. Uh, Nick, who, who stood out for you? 
Uh, well, for, for Ireland, I think Curtis Camper showed he's not out of place at this level and, and that's um, going to encourage him. He's a South African-born but, but with an Irish passport, so he's a, a bit of a recruit or an expat if we want to open that can of worms. But um, uh, also encouraging for me was Neil Rock, who got some runs, which will improve his case as a wicketkeeper because, um, as I've said before, I've not been particularly impressed with Lorcan Tucker's uh, work behind the stumps. I think he's a very good batsman, but his glove work certainly needs improvement. Um, so a bit of competition there wouldn't go amiss. Um, the bowlers all kind of battled. Uh, it was a very high-scoring series all round, but um, Craig Young was, was impressive, and he's a guy who's been sort of in and out of the Ireland senior team. Uh, Tyrone Kane had a few decent spells, but you know most of them most of them bowled well at some point, which is good again for the for the squad depth. And you know, looking over to the Namibian side of things. Um, they, they did lose 4-1 in the T20s, but they uh, thumped Ireland in both of the 50-over matches with you know, big seven-wicket victories both times, which is interesting um, because their batting lineup sort of seems like on paper to favour uh, the, the shorter format with, with a lot of power hitters. But um, yes, Erasmus, as you said, always uh, always reliable. Nico Davin found some form, which I, I thought is really good because he's been, again, sort of on the fringe um, and they've shown him a bit of faith, which which I think is good because he, he can really smack him when he gets going. Craig Williams, of course, just, just turned 36 a couple of days ago um, and he's still going strong as, as an all-rounder, which is nice. Uh, Lofty Eaton is another young guy coming through and he showed some, some promise as well. Um, overall, again, the, it was very high scoring. The bowlers uh, won't be particularly happy, but... I think Tangeni Lungameni um, looked improved. This is, of course, without um, watching the matches, but um, he had better figures than most. And, and you know, as a guy who's sort of been, again, in and out of the side, it'll be encouraging for the for the selectors that he's, he's found some form. And, of course, Ruben Trumpelman, who also is a, a recruit for Namibia, um, a South African, uh, apparently with a Namibian father, and, and he did bowl quite well as well. So a good hit out for both sides. And um, yeah, with, with the coronavirus stuff going on, um, you, you don't know which, which series are going to go ahead and which ones are going to be cancelled, but that's, uh, that's all in the future. But um, yeah, good, good prep for both sides and, and good to see them building squad depth again because um, a lot of the time Namibia and Ireland actually do tend to run out the same sort of 12, 15 guys and, and rotate around between them. But um, finding some more talent outside of that sort of base squad is, is always helpful. On the topic of Namibia and not so much about them playing in, in South Africa, but I saw them announce a new sponsor uh, to the tune of, I think, 50,000 US. It was like 800,000 Namibian dollars for their upcoming uh, internationals series. So that's that's good for them. I think that's one of the biggest sponsorships they've they've announced mm. Uh, with a beer provider, so hopefully they'll be uh, they'll be keeping all the fans uh, fed and watered um, at uh, very the various events events. And I wonder whether it's a uh, uh, in kind sponsorship, and uh, it will mean that um, Julian uh, Bard needs to uh, needs to drink his way through it, so, so it comes back. <laughs> in which case, they'll probably be safe. But that's that's good to see. New CEO, new franchise league. Looks to be going strength to strength. Some really positive news. Well, not news, but some uh, positive energy about them on online as well. But they their website's been offline for a few weeks, so you can't really see what they're doing. Everything I'm learning about this is through Facebook and Twitter. But um, no, it'd be good to see how they continue on in League Two and uh, and also the World Cup 
later this year, which we've almost forgotten about, haven't we, with this World Cup happening and everything else that's going on. But yes, I think we'll be keeping sort of one eye on that Namibian team with a lot of talent throughout the squad. Well, their, uh, their franchise league's also sponsored by uh, Richelieu Brandy. So I was I, waiting I, for that. I was yeah. waiting for the Richelieu to get a mention. I get the sense that they do enjoy a beverage down there in Namibia and uh, I, I feel like the players won't be short of a drink after the game. To be honest, though, I thought Vintuk Lager was short odds to, to take that sponsorship, but uh, <laughs> an, another beer provider just seems to have uh, taken that uh, share. I think it was Castle Light. Uh, what, what's our what's our protocol in terms of naming sponsors? Uh, we're, not, we're not the ABC? No, we're not the ABC. It was only because I actually forgot it as I was going through. I thought I covered it up quite well <laughs> and made it sound like I was just not saying it deliberately, but uh, no, no, we're happy to, uh, to support those as supporting Associate Nation. So, Castle Light. Make sure you drink Castle Light. <laughs> the man never drank a beer in his that, life. <laughs> that, that's that's a Simpsons quote, by the way, Nick. Yes, I that. don't worry, he, he's onto it. We're, we're we're teaching him slowly. Uh, I think that's just about all we have time for uh, for this week. Thanks again for joining us, Nick, next to me and, and Tim in Brisbane. No, wait, there's more. We have some breaking news as we produce our show today. Uh, so breaking news coming out in regards to the coronavirus Group A's Challenge League leg in Malaysia which was to start on the 16th of March has been postponed due to the virus with the ICC citing player well-being and increasing travel difficulties also the Everest Premier League has also been postponed due to the outbreak the decision was made after consultation with the Ministry of Home Affairs franchisees the Cricket Association of Nepal sponsors players and stakeholders Nepal, to this point, has just one confirmed case of the virus. And finally, the first leg of the Dream 11 European Cricket Series has begun in Alicante in Spain. The T10 tour around the continent locks in 100 days of cricket throughout the year for top clubs in the region. To keep up with news from Cricket's New World, make sure to follow Emerging Cricket on your favourite social media platform and make sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you are listening to the podcast. For now, on behalf of Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner and myself, Daniel Beswick, enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are around the cricketing world.